Mighty Trains takes viewers into the world of rail travel to witness the inner workings of what it takes to launch and execute a mighty journey on some of the world's most incredible railway equipment. The six-part series is hosted by Teddy Wilson. He's an engaging, this is what it says here, engaging, inquisitive train enthusiast. And he joins us today. I'm a train enthusiast. I don't know if I'm engaging, <laughs> but thank you. You know what? We'll know if you are or not by the end of this show. Oh, pressure's on. <laughs> Hi, Richard. <laughs> and you're taking some time uh, to come see us between jumping on and off trains. You're you're off somewhere soon. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's season two that's airing currently on Discovery, but we're really fortunate to already be in production on, on season three, which is a rarity in the TV yeah, yeah. biz, you know, to be in production on a new season while the other one is still airing. So we're very lucky. We've already been, um, you know, in the past couple months across Norway on a train called the, uh, the Bergen Railway. A lot of people say it's the most scenic train journey on earth. Norway is an amazing country, and we were uh, bopping around Italy on a couple of different high-speed trains, and I'm leaving in uh, in about a week for Australia. Wow. So we're going to do a train called the Indian Pacific between Perth and Sydney. Back in our first season, we crossed the country the other way from Adelaide to Darwin, so now we're going Perth to Sydney, which is uh, west to east. So yeah, we're, I'm, I'm still running around, lots of exciting trains in the world to cover, and it's, for me, this is the dream gig. Do you get to see anything of the country you're in outside of what you can see out the window? Yeah, absolutely. Train. I mean, on a, you know, sometimes we do these multi-day journeys, like um, in our in our third episode of the current season, we cross India on the Maharaja's Express. It's an amazing train, voted the number one luxury train on earth. But for instance, that journey is from Delhi down to Mumbai. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at like eight nights on a train. But then we'll do other high-speed trains that are a couple hours, and then we'll do some that are a couple days. So it really varies, but uh, especially on the journeys that are a bit shorter, we'll do them multiple times to get the footage that we need. But then we're also, um, it's cool because you cross the country by train, but then we also have like a caravan of cars with all of our TV equipment, right. and we're often driving to other cities, you know, we'll go to where they service the locomotives, we'll go to where they, um, they have the central train control system, to where they design the, the train cars. So for me, just as like a, a travel enthusiast too, it's a great gig because we go around the country, and then obviously we cross it by train as well. Okay, tell me about the most luxurious train on earth. I've seen... Uh, Murder on the Orient Express, both the 1970s version and the newer one. That does Nicer not surprise that? me that you've seen both. That does not surprise me, sir. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this train is called the Maharaja's Express, and it does kind of have that feel of the Murder on the Orient Express yeah. train. And uh, it's been voted the number one luxury train in the world for good reason. It has these incredible dining cars with, like, gold-plated everything. The the guest cabins themselves are, are like a uh, hotel room. It would be like a New York or a London hotel room. Right. Small, but I mean massive for a train. Yeah, yeah. Often on the trains, you're just in these cramped little cabins, which are cool and kind of have a, a neat vibe about them. But the Maharaja's Express... It really is unlike any train on uh, on earth, and I don't just say that to like promo it for them. Yeah, yeah. It really is. You get on it, and it's mind blowing. And that journey's cool as well because there's all these offboard excursions that we do. We went to a rat temple. Tell me about the rat temple. I've yeah. heard about the rat temple. Right? A, they, they do not kill the rats. They worship the rats, yeah. right? And so there are hundreds of thousands of them, right? There, yeah, there, there's around 20,000 rats in this temple. And as you said, it's a place of reverence. Uh, it's a holy place. People come from all over India to make pilgrimages there. And they believe that these are re reincarnated souls of a local family of, of storytellers. And they worship this uh, sage warrior called the Karnimata. And it's a really interesting place, and you want to have that respect and reverence. Yeah. <laughs> 
But then there's also like thousands of rats running over your feet. They have, you know, milk there that the rats are in. The followers actually drink the milk. And it's just, it's, it's a really unique experience, to put it mildly. You know, you have to walk that line between, of course, being very respectful, yeah, as yeah. we always are, and not shrieking like a child, <laughs> which I only did like 17 times. I'm speaking with Teddy Wilson. He is the host of Mighty Trains. You see it on Discovery. Uh, it's on the Discovery app. If you're not at home in front of your television, you can check it out then. We'll give you all the details a little bit later on in the show. So what kind of research do you do before you go to these places? You had to be prepared for the rat temple. Otherwise, you know, you'd be screaming like a little girl, as you said. Yeah. Do they do they brief the, the easily scared host or do they not? So he doesn't worry about it. They did, though, tell me in advance. We have a really great production team at, uh, at EPI and Discovery, and they they put together these giant research packs. So some of these trains I know about already because, you know, I'm not a train expert, but I am a huge train and travel enthusiast. And so some of them I've heard of in advance. But regardless, I read all the research on them. There's tons of videos online for all of these trains. So I really do the homework before I go because I want to be kind of the avatar for the viewer as a traveler going on this journey. But I also want to know what I'm talking about when I'm interviewing the people who kind of keep these train journeys running and to honor the work that they do. So I really love in the episodes learning along with the viewer. And I often learn some totally wild stuff, you know? Well, when did you start loving trains? I mean, it, it, via train? I'm sure it was probably, that was probably your first train trip, right? It was. I grew up in Ottawa. So it was the train between Ottawa and Montreal. I was four or five years old. And I remember being at the, uh, the station in Ottawa near Vanier, the main station where the train pulls in. And I remember seeing the big via locomotive coming in and then getting on the train. And it, there is a, a romance about trains. There's something that's, that captivates us. I think the fact that children are so enamored with trains kind of speaks to their this like primal love that we have of them, you know, like because kids love them and kids are just enthusiastic about things that they feel with all their heart. And so the fact that they love trains, I think, is kind of indicative of something that just genetically speaks to us about them. And I remember that journey. And then, of course, as an adult, you know, like you, I love to travel. And yeah. so everywhere I go, I try to take a train, even in my personal life. Well, I think as Canadians, too. Trains are, are part of our DNA in a way. They are the thing that connected the country, that sort of brought us together. Yeah. And, and, you know, for years, that's how people got around. Yeah. And I mean, you're absolutely right, especially in a country like Canada. It, it helped build the country. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are books like Pierre Burton's The Last Spike. Yeah, yeah. We actually passed The Last Spike in our first episode of oh, this wow. season, Rocky Mountaineer. We passed the site of The Last Spike because Rocky Mountaineer runs on the old Canadian Pacific, the old CP line. So that was like in back in 1885, you know, and that really connected the country. In our first episode, we took a train called the Canadian, which was until recently on our $10 bill. It was the train on the $10 bill. And we took it from Vancouver to Toronto. I had never traversed my own country before. I'd been all around, but I'd never crossed it by car or by train. So that really gave me a sense of, of my own country and made me see my own country differently. And of course, especially when you're going through the prairies or northern Ontario, these towns sprung up along the railway. Yeah, yeah. So they, they were lifelines for people and they were kind of the, the nexus of development across, across the country. Grain elevators, it was fascinating. And you get a real sense of just how big Canada is. Oh. Everyone talks about how big Canada is until you've traveled it by car or by train. Yeah. Uh, it's a much different thing than flying. You know, you get on in Toronto, you end up in Vancouver, you're like, oh, that seemed big. 
Let's see. I was on the plane for four and a half hours. Do it by train, and you get a sense of what it's really like. It's it's incredible, and a lot of people say the same thing, right? Is that you'd never realize how big Northern Ontario is. You know, the landscapes yeah. of BC and Alberta are stunning. I had never seen, you know, in true form, the prairies, those undulating wheat fields. I thought it was going to be boring, but it was actually one of the most beautiful landscapes I'd ever seen. Absolutely loved it. But then, of course, Northern Ontario, which is massive, yeah. and from an engineering perspective, actually laying that train line. It's surprising, but building the train line through northern Ontario from an engineering perspective was as challenging as building the train line through the Rocky Mountains. And it's because of that muskeg or bog in northern Ontario that's very difficult to lay tracks on because it continually sinks. So, yeah, there's a lot of kind of interesting details behind the development of railways in Canada. And what things have surprised you? What have you learned about it? I mean, have you learned about the people that travel by train? Are they different than people that say, you know, I'm going to jump on a plane and go to Vancouver? Yeah, I think it's people for whom, you know, getting on the train is, is kind of the journey and not, it's not, that's part of the journey. It's not about getting from point A to point B. It's less a mode of like conveyance than it is something to check out in its own right. So on the longer trips, you get people who have been planning the, these trips for years. Yeah. Uh, you know, on the shorter ones, you get commuters, but people do seem to have a real love for the trains. And then the people who work on the trains are actually fascinating. On Mighty Trains, we obviously go into the engineering and the tech. That's a big part of our show. But another big part of it is is talking to the people who make these journeys happen, right. as well as the passengers. But people who work on trains have fascinating backstories, you know? Often they'll have trains in their DNA. They'll be like the third generation. You'll meet like a service manager for whom, you know, her mom worked on the train and her mom's dad worked on the train, or you'll meet, meet a driver, an engineer, who's like the fourth in a long line of train engineers. So it's really, really interesting. And they all, I was struck too, you know, the, the people whose job it is to get on the mic and give you factual details about the line obviously know a ton of history, but then you'll meet anybody on the train who, who works on it. And they all really have a passion for it. And they're all kind of like historians. It would right. blow me away. You'd work, you'd meet somebody working in the kitchen and they'd be telling you about the history of the CP line. Yeah, yeah. I was like, wow, it's amazing. Well, that reminded me, and I'd sort of forgotten about this until this very second, but my dad was a, was an engineer on a train. What? He had, yeah, my dad uh, lived to be 90, almost 90 years old, had three jobs in his life. Uh, and it, one for 50 years, you know, and then others. Right. And, and he was, uh, he was an engineer, the guy that made, you know, sort of walked through the train and made sure that everyone were seated and had their tickets and things. But I remember him telling me, that's not the engineer, that's the It's like service manager. The, yeah. 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 And, and he, uh, I remember him describing the suit that he wore and the little hat and the whole thing. And they had to sing a song when they were in the station. He would sing a song that went something like, gentlemen, please refrain from flushing toilets on the train while standing in the station. Because, of course, whatever you did would just plop down under the tracks if you weren't moving. Right. And be unpleasant. Wow. Yeah. And he had a song about it. Yeah, he had a song that, that <laughs> was part of the thing he could sing. He was, a, he, he was able to sing, and that was, his, uh, that was the way he conveyed that information. This would have been probably in the 1940s. It'd be a fascinating a time, time to be working on the train. Yeah, well, you've got it in your blood. Richard Krauss is a train guy. You well, heard it here first. We, yes, and when we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Teddy Wilson. He is the host of Mighty Trains. Uh, it follows the engineers and conductors as they navigate their way through busy rail yards, vie for priority departures, and deal with the unexpected oftentimes on railways designed almost 200 years ago. So there's lots of stuff to talk about. When we come back, we will talk about uh, what are we going to 
the Hector Rail in Sweden. We're going to talk about why you um, still get excited when you board a train. Lots to come with Teddy Wilson. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. Mighty Trains is my guest Teddy Wilson's new television show. It's not so new now. You're in your second season, already shooting your third season. Uh-huh. And this is a job that takes you around the world and you uh, take trains, you take in the culture of trains, you talk about the tech, uh, you, you get into the world of trains. And it's funny because, you know, I don't really think about trains that much. But I was in Europe not long ago. I took the channel. I did the channel, which was fascinating and elegant and everything I hoped it would be. I yep. fell asleep at one point. I missed the entire underground portion. I was sitting in my chair. They fed us some lunch. I had a beer. The signs were in French. I, you know, closed my eyes for a second. It was still daylight. The signs were in English. And it was like, I missed the whole part underground. Yeah. The view is not fantastic yeah. though. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 That's amazing. Yeah. It's an incredible, incredible piece of engineering as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just, I mean, so easy two hours or whatever it was, two mm-hmm. and a half hours, something like that from, from Paris to London. Uh, incredible. And, you know, it got me thinking more about train travel and the leisurely pace of it and how much more pleasant it is to take a train than it is to fly. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, it's interesting that you bring up the Paris to London train, the the channel example, because that that's a, you know, that opened, I remember when that opened, you yeah. know, it was in our lifetime 25 yeah, yeah. years ago or so. And uh, it took a lot of um, business away, obviously, from regional airlines, from, yep. from ships. Um, and we cover a train in season two of Mighty Train it's called the Ave 103. It's in Spain, and it's a high-speed train like the, the one that goes through the channel, and it operates between Madrid and Barcelona. Right. So that's a 625-ish kilometer route, and people used to take regional airlines on it, right. but this train... Which would be like half an hour in the air. You'd probably yeah. never even level out. You just do an arc. Exactly. You know, from, it's yeah. like Toronto to Ottawa, yeah, basically. Yeah. Well, longer than that, but yeah. it would be a really quick run on a plane. But of course, you got to get to the airport early. you got to go through all that rigmarole. So this train does that 625 kilometer journey in about two and a half hours because the train runs at around 300 kilometers an hour average cruising speed. So this was the second high-speed train we did back in season one. We covered the bullet train. Yeah, and how fast do they go? That go that one goes around 250 to 275, I believe. The Spanish one is even quicker, and it's a train that's really kind of changing the game in terms of high-speed rail travel because it's pulled a lot of um, business away from the regional airlines that used to fly people from Madrid to Barcelona. Now you make this trip on the train in two and a half hours. It's comfortable. You got leg room. And it's really, really incredible to be on a train going that fast. Have you ever done a high-speed train? No, I haven't. And it, tell me what it's like, because I, I always think, you know, will the G4, will it, you know, those pictures of people that going into space and their 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 skin is quivering and their mouths are agape. It's not like that, though. You're not Ryan Gosling in First Man. No. It, no. it, 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 it always seemed to me like that would happen. No, it, it really doesn't. And the astounding thing is it's actually a smoother ride on these high-speed trains than it would be on your average kind of, you know, run-of-the-mill train, your average Via or Amtrak. Um, these trains are actually smoother. They have all this technology that goes into how they're able to take turns at really high speeds. Right. There's a lot of, obviously, safety, priority on safety. And uh, they all also have their own dedicated tracks, so they're not sharing tracks with freight trains as mm-hmm. we see with with regular kind of old school yep. um, passenger trains. And so it's amazing, but you're not rocking around back and forth a lot. The scenery is whipping by, and the smoothness of the ride is so counterintuitive when you're on it. But they're, it's a really, really great way to travel. I, high-speed trains are fantastic. I'd highly recommend taking one. Yeah, and, and there's more and more of them. 
right? I mean, it's the new tech, right? Yeah, very much so. In Europe, especially, they're they're building a lot of them. Asia has a lot of high-speed trains as well, a lot of new high-speed trains. So it seems like every country is kind of competing with the other to have the fastest, the best, the newest, the smoothest. And the one in Spain, though, is really, really fantastic. We actually just got back from Italy, and we were bopping around the country on high-speed trains there as well, including one that was started by the family behind Ferrari. Well, here's the thing, because I often think of trains as being kind of an old school, old fashioned way of getting around. But in Bangkok a few years ago, I took uh, what is now their subway. It's not it's not a train system uh, per se, except that these trains were designed by Porsche. They are beautiful and it's revolutionized the city. It has made yeah. it easier to get around. People are using them, uh, and you can access different parts of the city that you've never been able to get to easily before. Yeah, it, it's it's amazing. It's a real way to kind of you know penetrate into areas that you, as you say, kind of couldn't get to before, or connecting cities like Madrid and Barcelona, yeah, yeah. as this train in Spain does. People, business commuters take it now. It's great for tourists. My best friend and his partner were just over there, and they took it just as tourists because yeah. it was a great way to get between these two cities. You're getting between them fast and high speed rail travel is, I think we're only kind of now starting to hit um, the really interesting point. You know, these trains that are going 300 kilometers and quicker. Japan is developing a maglev train. It'll be ready in, I think it's about five years, that'll go, you know, five to 600 kilometers an hour. The only operating maglev or magnetic levitation train currently in operation today is in Shanghai between the airport and downtown Shanghai. It's about a 20-minute run, but I think it goes about 500 kilometers an hour. And magnetic levitation means that the train is actually hovering, l- hovering off the tracks because of magnets. So that could be the next, the next frontier. Yeah, that's uh, like science fiction. Yeah, it, it, it is, really right? is. Yeah. It really is like it, sci-fi. It, if you go online and look up old copies of things like Amazing Tales and things, yeah. that's what you're seeing. You know, as it, <laughs> when, when they envisioned the world, how we'd be getting around, it was like hover trains and things like that. Oh, yeah. I still remember seeing the first monorail at Disney World mm-hmm. when I was a kid, and it seemed like something out of a science fiction movie. Hopefully, we don't have like a Snowpiercer-like future right. in our train science yeah. fiction world. Hopefully, it's not post-apocalyptic. Yeah, so Snowpiercer being that it was sort of where society was really, I mean, airplanes and, and trains to a certain extent, I mean, there are first class and something like that, but this, this takes that, that uh, concept to the nth degree where people are actually living on board this train yeah. and there are poor sections and rich sections and, and all sorts of things. Yeah. Snowpiercer is a great movie, but not the best advertisement for train travel. No. What, do you have a favorite train movie? Because trains have been in, I mean, we think of Murder on the Orient Express, mm-hmm. but then there are a ton, like the sci-fi flick uh, Source Code with Jake Gyllenhaal yep. is a fantastic one. Strangers on a Train. There's a lot of great history there. Yeah, Strangers on a Train probably yeah. for me, old school. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's just something for me that when I think of train travel, I do think of, of automatically go back to sort of old school, you know, you'd have a, 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 a bunk, not a bunk, but a, a room, you know, you would yeah. rent a, a first class uh, room and that sort of thing. And it seems elegant. It yeah. seems elegant to me. We do a train in, in Ecuador called Tren Crucero, which mm-hmm. is also known as the train to the clouds. It goes up and over the Andes mountains. Wow. These incredible elevations. There's a lot of real engineering innovation that goes into allowing this train to go up and over the mountains because normal trains can only go at a grade of a couple percent up or down in terms of degrees of of incline or descent. And so this train has to get really creative from an engineering perspective to go up these mountains. So it's got all these incredible switchback systems. But that train elicits some of that kind of old school history and romance that I think you're talking about. And 
it often these narrow gauge railways so that the the tracks are actually narrower right. it's more of an old school train seem to elicit that you know the cabins are a little bit creaky it kind of brings you back to a different time in our first season we did a train called the white pass and yukon route that starts in skagway and runs up into northern bc and at fraser british columbia you cross the border at the coolest little customs post on earth it's amazing and that train is also a narrow gauge railway and it was built for the the gold rush the klondike gold rush in yukon and alaska and we'll pick up that story when we come back and continue the conversation with teddy wilson talking about his tv show mighty trains on discovery stay with us Welcome back, everybody. My guest in studio was Teddy Wilson. You know him as the host of Mighty Trains. It says here, each one-hour episode is a journey into the fascinating world of rail travel, as Teddy Wilson tells the stories of six exceptional trains and their scenic locomotive routes through Canada, Ecuador, India, New Zealand, Sweden, and Spain. That's a, a heck of a world tour for season two. It's amazing. If you did not like to travel a lot, and if you did not like trains, this would be a nightmare job. Yeah, yeah. I love both of those things, so it's a dream job. It is, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I find myself more and more... I love to be places. I don't like getting to places. Oh, man. Yeah. You and You're I are on the road a lot. You and I are not as young as we used yeah. to be, Richard. I've known you for a long time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I find the, the, you know, a 15 hour flight now, 10 years ago, I was like, it's fine. Yeah. Now it kind of, it, it wears on you, but it is a tiny, tiny price to pay to get to go around the world highlighting these trains. But I'm with you, brother. So 15 hour flight, that must have been to New Zealand for... This show? Yeah, back in our first season, we were obviously at New Zealand's neighbors, Australia. We did a train called the GAN from uh, Adelaide up to Darwin. This season, though, in season two, we go to uh, to New Zealand, my first time in the country. What an amazing place. Sceneries and terrain that kind of evoke some some of those in Canada as well, yeah. obviously over a much, uh, much more compacted surface area. But it's a wonderful country, and we actually got to traverse both islands, so the North Island and the South Island. Wow. Up north, we did a train called Northern Explorer from Auckland at the top all the way down to Wellington, their, uh, their country's capital in the south. That was a beautiful train. And the North Island is where they filmed the Shire and the, the Hobbiton yeah, yeah. stuff from the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit films. And which you are a fan of. I am a huge <laughs> fan, yeah. And we actually, on the train, we encountered a bunch of fans of J.R. Tolkien's work who were actually going to Hobbiton, which is, the, of course, the set of the Lord of the Rings films that they've opened up as a big tourist attraction. Yeah. So you can kind of picture in your mind what the North Island looks like. The South Island, we go from Christchurch to Greymouth, so we cross the country from east to west, and that is where they filmed Mordor and all of the, right. the kind of rocky stuff with the, you know, with the orcs and where the battles were, Helm's Deep, stuff mm-hmm. like that. If you know the films, that will evoke the images. Very rocky, very mountainous, so very different types of terrain, but equally as epic and impressive. So getting to cross both islands of New Zealand was a thrill, and it's one of my favorite episodes this season, and we, we take people behind the engineering that allows this to happen. We meet the people on the train, passengers, workers. It's a it's one of my standout episodes that, that I've got to be a part of. And Lord of the Rings really changed things in New Zealand, right? It, it you know, there was tourism before that, but it has exponentially changed it, since the movies came out. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, Peter Jackson, when he got the gig as the director, he had done movies like The Frighteners before yeah. and a couple of other kind of great indie hits before that. But when he got the gig, 
he was really adamant about shooting it in New Zealand because mm-hmm. he had grown up his whole life seeing these landscapes of his home country. He was a big fan of J.R.R. Tolkien's work in The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. So I think he had grew up always envisioning this as the land yeah. of the Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. So it's been huge tourism-wise, as you say, for that country. And it's great on the train because they make all these references to it. And it is a, both, both of those journeys are really, really fantastic. And I'm really proud of that episode. Peter Jackson also told me once that you know, apart from the scenery and apart from all that stuff, the production value that comes with just this natural beauty is that it was so far from Hollywood that he could make these movies without, you know, suits from Burbank coming down and knocking on the door every day. So that's really interesting. So it was about the landscapes, but also about being removed. It's a long flight to get down there, man. Yeah. 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 People just sort of left him alone. (laughs) That's great. And he wanted to talk about the Hector rail. So the show has different uh, aspects to it in, in terms of uh, the kinds of trains that you cover. And so passenger trains are one thing, but there's still working trains out there. Yeah. Back in our first season, we do a train called uh, the um, the North Rail Express, which actually brings fish from the uh, Norwegian Arctic, uh, uh, Arctic cod, all the way down to Oslo, a fantastic freight yeah. train. And this season, as you say, we do a train called Hector Rail. It's in Sweden, and I learned through this gig that Sweden is the third largest producer of pulp and paper on Earth. They have these giant forests in the middle of the country and up north, and they provide a lot of pulp and paper. So they use a train to get it down there. They used to use the rivers. They used to put the timber, the logs in the rivers. Now the train kind of acts as the waterway. So this train carries, I think it's about 3,000 tons of timber every day, 365 days a year, goes through some really harsh weather and some really challenging landscape. But it's a really, really cool train. And it's a freight train. So this episode has a bit of a different feel to it. We talk to the workers on the trains, the engineers, the drivers on the trains actually do this route on their own. So they're the only crew member on the train, this massive long train with 3000 tons of timber of freight and they're alone on it. They have a remote control that they wear around their waist. And so if they have to get off the train and move the locomotive to connect it to other uh, freight cars, they do it with this remote control. So imagine being like a kid and having a train set. This is like a train set that's many, many tons. And so the people who operate the trains are really, really fascinating. And we actually go to the giant pulp and paper mills uh, where they where they process all this timber. And it's like, it looks otherworldly. Like it looks like something out of a science fiction movie. And Sweden is also places a lot of emphasis on uh, sustainable development. So for all these these trees that they take down to have as timber for the pulp and paper mills, they plant a lot as well. Sweden's very, very big on that and very, very progressive. And they kind of lead the world in that regard. So is the show coming at uh, the 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 subject from an educational point of view or is it entertainment or is it a mix of both? I think it's a solid mix of both because I mean we go into the engineering behind this. It's also a travel show though. Mm-hmm. I mean I'm kind of the host slash traveler yeah, yeah. and I'm learning stuff along with the audience members. So I think we pride ourselves on being both. I mean we don't want to be like a purely educational show because it should be fun as well. And I, I think it is. But then also we show these amazing landscapes, this amazing scenery. As a TV guy, you know, I, I cut my teeth in TV for yeah. the last 15 years doing different shows. I just love being on these trips as well, seeing how our crew, who are amazing, 
film these trains. We often have drone crews locally wow. working with us. In our first episode this season, Rocky Mountaineer, I go up in a helicopter for the first time. <laughs> we just shot one in Italy, and I was over the train tracks in Italy in a helicopter. And so they do that in order to get this amazing footage. We have crews following the train. So I, we're trying to kind of, you know, teach people a little bit, bit about these trains, but also have some fun and also you know, have a travel show vibe where we're showing people these incredible countries, you know, because and the way that they film it, I think really does these places justice. I'm speaking with Teddy Wilson. He's the Andrew Zimmerman of trains. <laughs> Have I? I love uh, that. I think that's what I'm going to think of you as. Nice. Now. Thank yeah, you for that. Andrew Zimmerman of trains. Uh, the show is called Mighty Trains. It's on Discovery. And uh, you're traveling all over the world. Are there places now that you have not yet been to that you really want to go? Absolutely. And by the way, I like to think of myself as the Richard Krauss of trains. Well, I'm happy to have that happen, too. <laughs> there are lots of places I'd like to go. One thing that's really interesting about shooting this show and now being in production on season three, I'm constantly learning about new trains around right. the world. I mean, some of them we've covered I already knew about because I love trains and I love travel, but I'm always hearing about new ones. So there are tons that I'd like to do. We're leaving very shortly, as I said, to do this train Indian Pacific between Perth and Sydney in Australia. We're going to do a train later this season as well that we're shooting called Rovos Rail in South Africa that goes from P Pretoria to Cape Town. Wow. We're probably going to go back to Switzerland to do another train there. In our first season, we did a train in Switzerland called the Glacier Express up and over the Swiss Alps at grades of ascent and descent of about 12%. They have this cogwheel technology that allows them to make these, for a train, right. very steep climbs and drops. And so there are tons of different places I'd like to go. There's a train in Peru that takes you up toward Machu Picchu that I would love to do. There's the Trans-Siberian in Russia and Mongolia, which is the longest railway journey for passengers on Earth from Moscow into Mongolia or Vladivostok. And by the way, the Canadian right here in our own backyard, Vancouver to Toronto, is the second longest regular passenger train on Earth. So, I mean, there's like a million different ones I'd love to do. Hopefully we go for 10 seasons. When we come back, we continue the conversation with Teddy Wilson, host of Mighty Trains on Discovery. Stay with us. My guest in studio is Teddy Wilson. He is the host of Mighty Trains. It airs Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Uh, Pacific on Discovery and the Discovery app. Uh, so lots of chances to see this. There are season one sitting there on the app. You can get caught up with your world travels. Season two uh, will be there soon. You're shooting season three. Being on the road, though, is tough. No matter if you're taking these luxurious trains across India and that sort of thing, it's still tough. Have there been challenges involved in, in terms of, you know, just like feeling jet lagged all the time or any of that kind of thing? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I really like the travel. I'm, I'm a bit of a weirdo. I'm a huge weirdo in a lot of ways, but I really kind of like the sense of displacement in a way. Right. I think for a lot of people that wears on them. I don't think I travel. An, I, I'm not traveling 200 days a year. We travel right. for Mighty Trains about three months a year, stretched over a six-month production period. Right. So I'll be gone for two weeks, back for two weeks. And I, I don't know if I could take a lot more than that, but I actually kind of like the sense of displacement jet lag, you, you get used to, you have your own little ways of combating it. Yeah, yeah. You travel with earplugs because you learn that hotels can be noisy. Uh, but f for me, it's a small price to pay in terms of being able to 
get to travel the world and and highlight these trains. But yeah, it wears on you a little bit. But anytime I'm feeling particularly jet lagged or a little bummed out about being away from home, I just like look out the window of whatever train I'm in and I say, stop complaining. You've got a dream gig. Yeah. I read somewhere that Anthony Bourdain was on the road 300 days a year. Yeah. And that's, that's an impossible schedule. You know, and obviously he was somebody, I mean, what a great, amazing Mm. travel journalist and storyteller. But yeah, I, I read as well that he would be at his apartment in New York for about five days a month. Yeah. And I think no matter how much you like it, that, that would really wear on you. That level of, um, displacement, I think would really kind of eat away a little bit at you. And I, I, I don't think I could do that. So for me, this is the, the perfect amount. It's interesting when I think about him and his name came up because of the travel aspect of this, yeah. but what I loved about, uh, those shows that he did was that he would go to the Congo or he would go to these, the the most far flung places in the world. And he didn't highlight the differences between people. He highlighted the similarities, how we were all the same. We all want food. We all want best for our kids. We all want, you know, very similar things. And I think that's the thing that, and I don't think I realized it while I was watching those shows. Why do I like this so much? It it was about unifying people, not pushing them apart. That's actually a really, I think, smart way to distill his message Mm -hmm. because you're right he would focus on the similarities between people we all kind of want the same things obviously we're um you know we're born into different circumstances we're so lucky to even be born in in north america and in this time period but he really did have a way of bringing people together and and telling stories and doing it in in an unobtrusive and unjudgmental way and uh yeah i mean what a loss and that i mean that show even just parts unknown looked so beautiful, yeah. the cinematography, the editing. I, I've been a fan of his. I've read Kitchen Confidential way back, and I've been a fan of his TV work ever since A Cook's Tour, which was yeah. actually his first series right after Kitchen Confidential, but then No Reservations and and Parts Unknown. He was amazing at, at telling people's stories. And I actually find, you know, with Mighty Trains when we travel, I, I find the same thing, that the similarities within, within people. I've learned that as well, traveling to these places, because you're on a train, and no matter where people are from, and often with these iconic trains that we do, people come from all over the world to take them. Right. So you talk to passengers, and by the end of the episode, it's kind of like the United Nations. You know? <laughs> You've talked to people from every corner of the globe, and it's universal that when a beautiful landscape goes by, everybody looks out the window and right. gets out their cameras. It's universal that people have a curiosity if they're on the train about the country that they're in. So I've, I've found a little bit of that as well. But um, yeah, I mean, he was obviously a, a genius. Yeah. You answered my next question. Oh, I'm sorry. No, listen, it's okay. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about the most memorable moments. We've talked about a lot of really cool things. But when you look back at this in 20 years, okay. when you're telling your grandkids about it, uh, what will you tell them? I'll tell them that your your granddad was a very, very <laughs> lucky dude who did not deserve the job that he had. Uh, but I'll, I think I'll tell them about, about trains. I, I would want to instill in them a love of travel very early. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a nephew, and I hope to do that with, with yeah, him yeah. as well. Uh, and I would tell them about some of the moments that I've had on these journeys. In our first episode, our, our season premiere on Rocky Mountaineer, this amazing train that goes through the Canadian Rockies in BC and Alberta. It's got these huge double-decker panoramic train windows like nothing I've ever seen before. But we actually have a, had a moment where there was a couple on the train who lived right beside the track. So they have they still live there. They have a house there. And every time the Rocky Mountaineer goes by, they go out and wave to it. And in our <laughs> episode, that. yeah, these this wonderful couple happened to be on our same train journey. And so when we went by their house, 
the train staff had gotten a bunch of their friends and family and some people from the train company to be at their house. So there were like 30 people waving to this couple as they went by on the train. Wow. They always wave at the train as they go by. And, and they saw these people waving from their house. And I actually cried, you know, like yeah. I really got welled up. It was a life moment for them. And it was one of the most touching moments I've ever seen on a train. But I mean, for me, I have, I have a million of them. And meeting the, the people who work on these trains and for the railway companies especially, just hearing their stories is is fascinating. And I've had so many moments where I really, you know, kind of catch myself getting emotional. And just honestly, crossing some of these landscapes by train, mm-hmm. I find emotional. I remember I woke up, uh, you know, in the, in the middle of the night or right around sunrise as we were crossing the Tar Desert in India on the Maharaja's Express, and I could just see the sun coming up, and I just laid up in my bed for an hour watching the scenery go by. In our first season, one of our first episodes on the Canadian, I'd wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom or because the train was yeah. rocking and rolling a bit, and I'd stay up for two hours looking out the window and seeing these uh, prairie towns go by and kind of thinking about the development of the country. And that happens every train I'm on. So I've had a million memorable moments. Yeah. I'm speaking with Teddy Wilson. He is the host of Mighty Trains. It's on Discoveries, uh, Discovery Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, uh, also on the Discovery app, uh, should you want to catch up with the show, if for some reason you haven't been watching. Thank you for that. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, sir. Uh, what are three things that you have to take with you? If you are traveling and you travel all over the world, uh, what are three things that have to be in your bag? Earplugs is number one for yep. me. Trains are allowed. Hotels are allowed. Yep. So I always bring earplugs. And I'm also embarrassed to say I wear one of those sleeping masks. Do you? See, I, uh, I, I get those, but I was on the road for a long time, for like 15 years. I was on the road constantly, right. every week flying somewhere. Right. And people would give me these things, and I never used them. Oh, man, you have to. If there's light coming in, it's, it's like, yeah, it's a silver bullet. You look ridiculous, yep. though. So I'm ashamed to admit that I would say earplugs and an iMac. I would also say a good rain jacket because, man, I've had times with a not good rain jacket on the road for Mighty Trains. And we often travel between cities, sometimes by car to shoot, right. you know, the where they where they fix the trains or at train control. And I've been caught out in some serious rainstorms with a, a not very good shoddy jacket. So I would say I would say that. And what would the third thing be? Extra socks, maybe? Yeah. You can never bring enough socks, man. You can always buy socks. That's true. That's a good point. That's what I always think. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm, I'm almost at the point now that when I travel, I'm just going to stop packing at all and just buy stuff when I get there. Just buy stuff? Just buy stuff. Yeah. No, I, I, I probably overpack for, mm. for work stuff. Well, see, I think that's what I, I, I've been trying to hone it down, right? Because before when I was traveling for work all the time, I would take, you know, if I was shooting on two different days, I'd take two different suits and I would take, you know, I always had extra stuff. And, uh, and, and now that you have to pay for every bag and you get it, I could, I honestly, I could probably travel with a briefcase. Really? Eh? Yeah. Yep. How, ma- how many pairs of your iconic eyeglasses do you bring? I always bring at least two, nice. usually three, but uh, one in case, you know, I get punched in the face or something and they get broken. Uh, <laughs> as so happens. I've always got, yeah, as happens. Um, I, I always have a, a, a second pair and usually a third. Wow. Yep. Cool. And yep. you can basically have it down to briefcase size now. Well, it's not quite there, but I'd like to get it there. I've learned nothing about packing. <laughs> and even with all this travel, I'm still a terrible packer. I still get stressed out. So, yeah, I've really learned nothing. But I've learned a lot about trains. You've learned a lot about trains. What's the single, and we're almost out of time, what's the single most surprising thing that you've learned about trains? 
I think it's honestly just how how difficult it is to have railways in some of these countries we visit. Right. The sheer, you know, audacity of trying to build a train line through the Rocky Mountains or in Ecuador up and over the Andes Mountains or through places like Sweden with all their natural challenges for railways or across India. So for me, it's the for me, it's some of the engineering that I've learned about. Um, that would be kind of the number one takeaway for me. On our Rocky Mountaineer episode, we actually go through something called the spiral tunnels, which are these corkscrew tunnels within a mountain. They have wow. similar ones in Switzerland in our, our Glacier Express episode from our first season. So learning about some of the engineering behind them has been a surprise. And also getting to know the people who work on the train and really learning that, you know, it's an old adage, but it's true. Everybody has a story. And hearing people's stories about how they ended up working on a train, why they love it, is is endlessly fascinating to me. Yeah, I always thought, you know, that the the, the important thing when you're talking to people, you're doing a job like you have or like I have, is that people want to hear about people. They want to hear yeah. the stories of, of the people that they're around, and, and everyone has one. You well, can always pull a story out of everybody. Yeah, you and I are big, big movie fans. Yeah. Well, you're a renowned critic. I would just go to the movies. <laughs> but um, but I think as as movie fans, you know, everybody could be their own movie. Yeah. Everybody could be the star of their own movie. Everybody, and especially people who work on trains, I'm telling you, they all have fascinating backstories that could be a film. They've probably seen it all as well. That's the other thing. You see people cooped up in small spaces yep. for a long time. Right. It's kind of like... probably those kind of stories that uh, that you really want to get to. We descend into the state of nature and we learn about the true uh, nature <laughs> of humanity as has been the subtext of every great philosophical work ever. Yeah, that's right. I've been speaking with Teddy Wilson. The show is called Mighty Trains. Uh, it airs on Discovery Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Uh, Pacific. Uh, that's every Sunday. Uh, you can also find it on the Discovery app. And where can people get the Discovery app? At iTunes and all the places that you get apps? Yeah, the Google Store or the iTunes Store, yeah, everywhere you get an app, you can get the Discovery app. And should they just start at the beginning and work their way through? Or is there one episode you say, okay, listen, this is the one you have to watch? Well, there's no, you know, we're not like a serialized drama, so you right. could jump in at every episode. But I would say this season, uh, if you're a Canadian, check out Rocky Mountaineer. And if you're fascinated by international travel, I would say check out our Ecuador episode on Tren Crucero. We also have a working train that derails ahead of us. I won't spoil what happens, but there's a lot of drama there, and the people who work on the train overcome it and are like heroes by the end, but it's a really, really challenging uh, moment, and it makes for a great episode. Teddy Wilson, thanks so much. Thank you. My thanks to Teddy, my thanks to Andre on the board, and most of all, my thanks to you for listening. We'll talk again next week.